Hey everyone, and here it is, the 64th edition of DF Direct Weekly, our weekly show where we talk about the latest gaming and technology news. 64 shows, so yeah, um, uh, Commodore 64, Nintendo 64, Mega 64, we have joined the pantheon of the greats. And uh, uh, joining me on this particular show, first of all, John Linneman. I came prepared, Rich. I got Donkey Kong 64 right here. You know, the DK rap could be happening right now. It's it's that time. So we made it. Awesome. I'm sure there's some sort of 64 connection somewhere, but uh, he's come in cosplay as John McClane from Die Hard. Alex Batalia. Rich, you forgot the Jaguar. I can't believe it. It's not true 64 um, bit. John, you saw the advertisements. I'm leaving out the, prete uh, the pretenders. Anyway, look, let's get straight to it. And it's our first topic of the week, and it's huge. So, yeah, uh, Sony's state of play uh, at the time we were recording this, it aired last night. A uh, huge amount of uh, titles, announcements, gameplay. And uh, we'll talk about the titles shortly. But I think, first of all, the one thing that all of us picked up on is the fact that Wow, this was a trailer compilation that was seemingly based almost entirely on actual gameplay captured from actual hardware. No smoke and mirrors, no CG trailers. That's pretty, pretty massive, right, Alex? Yeah, that's exactly what I want to see out of these things. Maybe not in terms of the lengths of the trailers or the style of the trailers always, because they're, you know... Their snippets and edited in a very uh, finessed way. But I love the fact that they're showing real in-engine stuff, uh, gameplay, and they mark all these things. Uh, I think Sony's done this the last two or three They've times. They've been good with it, but this was the most overt no. display, I think. It, yeah, and it says like exactly what you're looking at. It says like in-game cinematics, pre-alpha. Um, it says like gameplay, sometimes not gameplay. Some, and it, like you were saying, Rich, that for the Stray trailer, which I did not watch uh, completely, uh, that they actually even marked off something the one section that wasn't gameplay that's right yeah, uh, it was a cinematic that's really good stuff and that's what i want to see out of this because uh one it's better for advertising purposes you have you can set up uh, consumer expectations in a way that is much better and we actually then also see the games that we want to see instead of this trailerification stuff that we unfortunately have seen for years now uh so Bravo, Sony. It's a really good way to do this. I, mean, I, I would love some more gameplay demos in there as well, but this is a move in the right direction from those shows where it's just packed with nothing but CG trailers. Uh, I hate that stuff. It's like, it just, it's basically just, here's a game that exists and you'll see what it looks like someday. And then it just means that, you know, usually that implies that the development isn't that far along. Like when they showed Fable, for instance, right? They're like, hey, there's an existence of Fable. Here's a CG trailer. You know, that was years ago, right? Like, it's great that it's coming, but I feel like developers should stop announcing games too early. Well, that was another thing about this. Everything in it was 2022, 2023, seemingly. Yeah, exactly. So that's good. Uh, well, where do we start on the titles? I guess we start at the beginning with the Resident Evil 4 remake, which was looking quite promising. Right, John? Oh my gosh, yeah. Like, I, I was extremely skeptical of this one, mainly because Resident Evil 4 is kind of like their golden goose. It's it's a classic. It's my personal favorite Resident Evil game, maybe close with uh, Resident Evil 2 Remake now. But it's 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 such a such a special game, and remaking something like that, I think, is a tall order, right? Because the older ones, you know, the ones prior to 4 could definitely have used a freshen up, which they did. But 4, I still think, is a brilliant game. And, uh, you know, we don't yet know how everything's going to be implemented. But in terms of the visual look, 
they came a lot closer to nailing the original aesthetic of Resident Evil 4 using new technology. It really has that craggy sort of European like forest that in the, the midst of fall look, right? Uh, and, you know, you recognize a lot of the scenes. I love how they cut to him, Leon sitting in the, uh, the car at the beginning with his face reflected in the glass, just like in the original. Uh, it, it feels authentic in that way. And I really hope they actually nail this one because, uh, they can't keep re-releasing the original version. I mean, Mikami <laughs> only has one hit, right? He well, said they, he would cut it off if it, if it got ported uh... and it's been ported everywhere. <laughs> Uh, gosh, I almost feel like if we do look at the uh, Resident Evil 4 remake, uh, that we should maybe do a like a compilation video. Because John, I mean, like there's there's what there's like GameCube, there's Wii, there's the PC port from back then. Then there's the re-release and the re-release. Oh my god! Oh my god! There's I forgot the about mobile PS2. phone versions, the Zebo version, uh, uh, the PS3 yeah. three. three think 360 yeah there's multiple pc ports actually there's the ps4 yeah. xbox one versions uh there's a switch version uh i mean <laughs> it just it goes on and on yeah it, um, there's so many i i loved the look of the trailer uh i also like john i think resident evil 4 and resident evil 2 remake are probably the best resident evil games just in terms of overall stylization and atmosphere and a uh, gameplay Gameplay is really good in those games. I'm really curious, uh, beyond the visuals, which we do need to see a bit more of the game to, I think, make some greater commentary there, uh, because it was very, once again, finely cut trailer, um, but you don't see as much as you would probably like. Uh, I'm really curious how they're probably going to take the Resident Evil 2 remake and later Resident Evil idea of moving while shooting uh, a little bit. I imagine that's what they're going to do. And I'm really curious if they have to at all redesign some of the areas of, in the game as a result, because, you know, it was very much so based around that, like, stop and pop camera. Uh, and I'm curious if that, like, that led to some limitations at all in the gameplay environment. Um, so I want to see more of this. Uh, visually really great. Reach to the moon engine. Reach for the moon engine. RE engine there. Looking really good. I'm really curious... Uh, if they're going to at all iterate on that for this, because now we've seen um, this engine, what, three times now in total, uh, I believe, uh, in release games? No, right? it's, it's been in more than that. But, oh, has it really now? Oh, yeah. Uh, maybe I'm, it's become Capcom's oh, yeah. many, like, many primary games. engine. Is oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I, I keep forgetting about all the last gen <laughs> stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's like all the... It's like, keep forgetting these things. Um, it's early in the morning. I only have ginger tea here. This isn't even coffee. Um, but either way, uh, looking really good. I'm curious if they're going to iterate it all on the ray tracing. Uh, because I did like it, the way it looked in Resident Evil Village. Uh, just the issue was that it didn't scale up too high, and I'm curious if they're going to push it for like these only next-gen things like that are coming out. So, I mean, we were talking recently about how a lot of developers are shifting away from their own in-house tools, and uh, I am extremely happy to see Capcom continue to push uh, their engine forward, and they've sort of adapted it to use it in so many different types of games, uh, and I think it has its own unique look that's very attractive, right? Like it. It's not necessarily the most cutting-edge technology out there, but I think it produces really fantastic results. And as you've noticed, pretty much every game released on this engine is a 60 FPS game, right? So that's just like the target they're going for, which is a another thing I love about it. I think the other thing about that particular engine is that um, the technical art just really suits it. The style of the artwork is married to that particular engine 
produces an original distinct look and that's a commodity that I think we're going to need a lot of in this console generation. So yeah, good on Capcom for character uh, rendering for, especially. Yeah, yeah absolutely, yeah. Great. And just sort of just basic materials work and density of detail. It's got a very specific look to it. Uh, one thing that did crop up at the end of the trailer which kind of segues on to the next major uh, discussion point was uh, the reveal that there's going to be uh, what they described as PSVR 2 content for Resident Evil 4. And then we moved into a big bunch of uh, PSVR 2 specific titles, uh, kicking off with Resident Evil Village VR. Now, I think on the one hand, uh, what's quite exciting about this is that if they're talking about these games in the here and now, I suspect we may well see PSVR kind of like uh, maybe Q1 next year. So it's not so far away if they're marketing it in the here and now, I, th I think especially with these titles. Um, but there's a lot to talk about, about with regards to uh, PSVR 2, right, John? I mean, you know, we've got the new controllers, we've got some actual games to look at here. Yeah, so that's the main thing here, um, is that just speaking about all the games, the big focus for me and the thing I noticed is the, the prominence of the hand controllers. So for PSVR users that have only experienced PSVR, this is going to be such a game changer. You really have no idea. So like Resident Evil 7, for instance, that was very much beloved on PlayStation 4 for its VR support. But of course, you played it with a traditional DualShock 4 controller, right? Uh, this one from this trailer, it's pretty obvious that it uh, uses the full hand controllers similar to something like you'd see in, say, Half-Life Alex, right? Picking up individual objects, you know, they actually changing hands with their weapons, which is more like Boneworks looking in a way. Uh, and it's just that sort of like presence with your hands adds so much to the immersion that I think this could be really, really memorable and good. And Village is a great game already, and I think this is going to elevate it to the next level for sure. Um, and, you know, other games, they, they mentioned that <laughs> Resident Evil 4 is getting VR2 support which I don't, not necessarily the whole game though. It's just like, it seems like some sort of add-on thing. Are you talking about uh, the remake or the, uh, the the thing they released on Quest? At the end of the remake, it said yeah. it was in development for some mode oh, yeah, for right. PSVR yeah, yeah. 2. And I don't know what they mean mm -hmm. by that. But then, you know, they also showed that Walking Dead thing, which looked whatever. And then No Man's Sky. No Man's Sky, you know, Obviously, that game has changed a lot. It could be quite immersive in VR, I suppose. But I guess the big one they showed was uh, Horizon Call of the Mountain, which looks like it's got hand control stuff, which is great. Uh, and it looks like it's like, what if they took Crytek's The Climb and turned it into more of an adventure action game? Is the is the vibe I get from it, you know? I don't know what you guys think. <laughs> Uh, that, that's actually, yeah. What, what was the name of the other Crytek games? Like Robinson, the journey. Maybe it's like that for all I know. Um, well, Robinson did not have hand control support. That was a controller VR game. So, mm, okay. Um, I thought that looked pretty good. It did look a tiny bit different than the initial like snippet trailer. I thought, I don't know if that was because the snippet trailer they showed off wasn't actually like, it could have just been like cinematic footage or something like that. Um, but this looked really, still really, really good. I thought, um, I don't know if I'll ever have a PSVR 2 here, but it's a really pretty game. I'm curious if the tech basis is 100% everything we've seen on Horizon Forbidden West there, or if it's like a branch off, uh, because the re the requirements of doing uh, VR are very, very different. 
and also like a lot of VR games are like pure pure forward rendering. Uh, and I don't believe uh, Horizon Forbidden West is no, like a four plus game. Deferred stuff since Killzone Two, right? Yeah, yeah. I know they have a bit of like uh, interesting stuff going on with the vegetation there, but I, I don't think there is a forward plus engine or a forward engine there. So uh, I'm curious what it, what this technological basis is for this is uh, because it's going to be given that PSVR two spec, you know, pretty high res screens, super um, <laughs> super high refresh rates. I'm really curious what we're looking at there. The Horizon thing, from my perspective, was uh, <laughs> there were there were moments in there that you knew would be spectacular in VR, you know, with the uh, machines going over your head and stuff like that. But the effects in 2D just isn't the same. So, you know, I know it's going to look spectacular in the headset, but you can never really display that in a in a sort of um, 2D fashion alongside, you know, along the lines of a state of play trailer. But I'm really excited by it. I think it's looking really, really impressive. And you're right, John, they've, they've got the right controller set up. The specs of the headset just generally seem to be state of the art in every single regard. There's been a kind of, I think with the, uh, the move to um, making cheaper headsets like the Quest 2, the higher end stuff has kind of fallen by the wayside. And um, it looks like PlayStation VR 2 is aiming to, to you know, recapture the, the high-end specs that you really need for the best VR experiences. So, I don't know. I'm, I, obviously, we haven't seen anything yet. I, said, I, I do suspect that it's not so far off now. Development kits have been out for ages. The SDK has been on there for well over a year. So, you know... Um, I guess we've just got to wait and see what the titles look like. I mean, the one thing which did, you know, I've got to point it out, could be the stream. There were some performance issues, especially in The Walking Dead, which looked a bit rough in places. But, you know, you live and die by frame rate in VR. I do expect that to be sorted out by launch. Um, but overall, you know, a really nice teaser of what's to come. And I'm kind of reminded of something Sam said from Ars Technica when he came on board uh, the Direct a few months back, which was to say that uh, he was expecting a lot of bolt-on modes for AAA titles, you know, sampling of VR, which does seem to be what we're getting with Resident Evil 4, um, as opposed to a full gameplay experience like Resident Evil Village. Uh, I kind of, I don't know, I, I guess it's nice to have those bolt-ons, but I really think you need proper VR titles, right? I do agree with that, Rich, but the bolt-ons can be really good. Like Ace Combat 7 has that VR there's VR missions that are remade from, I think, Ace Combat 4. And that's that's just amazing content. Like, it's extremely immersive, and that's just phenomenal to play. Uh, so, you know, but you're right. Original games are where it's at, and I actually hope that they launch with, uh, and they'd be smart to do so, another Astro Bot game. You know, they obviously did Astro's Playroom on PS5, which, by the way, I let my son play that the other day for the first time, and he was just so delighted and laughing and loved it. And he walked out and said, I think that's the best game I ever played dead. <laughs> yeah. So it's just, you know, that's a very charming thing. That's very fun and creative and uh, adults and kids alike love it. And it would be, you know, the original VR game was phenomenal. And I think they could push it even further this time, especially if they use the hand control stuff. They do seem to be positioning Horizon as the hero title for it, though, right? Uh, that was the first thing we saw. So I suspect that will be their main launch push. But, you know, the Astrobot guys, incredible developers, incredible games. I do think they still have a problem, though. And I, I'll be curious to see how they solve it. Valve spent a lot of time making comfort modes for Half-Life Alex, 
and even that wasn't necessarily enough for everyone uh because these first person vr experiences while amazing they demand a lot from individuals right not everybody can actually play those i know a number of people that purchased headsets to play certain games like half-life and they had to return them or sell them because they couldn't actually stomach it so that is something to, to keep in mind well where should we move next i think we've got to talk about spider-man pc spider-man remastered uh, a small teaser there but even the logos excited me insomniac nixis together at last this is in- incredible stuff alex you must be uh, uh, almost borderline aroused by this <laughs> Well, I don't know if I like big open world games, but I do like tech and I do like Nixies and Insomniac has really good tech. Um, And you like ray tracing. And I like ray tracing. I'm curious. uh, So before the uh, conference, uh, NVIDIA did actually tweet out, are you going to be watching that state of play? And it's like, why is NVIDIA talking about this? And I originally thought it would be, oh, they're finally announcing Sackboy. You know, that's like super obviously been leaked so many times now. Oh, they're finally going to talk about Returnal because both those games are also going to have RT and DLSS, according to those nice leaks. Um, But then this came out of kind of nowhere, but it makes a lot of sense when you think about it. in terms of the timeline of things that happened. I'm really curious though, since NVIDIA did tweet about it, I imagine we're gonna be seeing DLSS there. The last number of Nixie's titles have had DLSS. Um, and I'm curious if they're gonna actually expand on the ray tracing because they had reflections there on the console, um, but they could you know, they could push that further in a number of directions. They could uh, bring in stuff like ray trace diamond inclusion or ray trace shadows as well too, which Nixies has experience with, with Shadows of the Tomb Raider on PC. Uh, so I'm curious if they're gonna be pushing that even further. Um, the one thing that is kind of funny when you think about the timeline of this being announced kind of out of nowhere uh, is that this is not part of Jensen's prophecy. This is not in the GeForce Now League. And I think the reason for that is, is because it's actually very recent, uh, the fact that Nixies is on it. Uh, the GeForce Now leak occurred uh, pre-Nixis being purchased uh, by Sony there. So I think this is actually a ver- the thing that they were put on right after they were um, onboarded. And uh, I think that's why it's not on that GeForce Now leak. And uh, I look then forward to seeing what they're going to be doing after this, uh, because the release date is very soon. And then Miles Morales is also in autumn of 2022. So they're going to be splitting up the release there, uh, which I'm just assuming it's because it's just polishing reasons. Um, I'm, I'm excited to see what they're doing. Nixies is next to id Software and uh, the Coalition, probably the best, you know, PC house that exists. Uh, they do only incredible work. So... I'm hella excited for that. I don't know about the game because, like I said, I don't play open world games that much anymore, but I definitely like looking at it. I don't play open world games either, but Spider-Man was really fun because you can just play it as a straightforward uh, action story game, and it's pretty fun. Yeah, yeah as, lo- as long as there's no side missions I have to do, maybe I can do You don't it. have yeah. to do, like, you maybe have to do, like, three, but other than that, you can just press forward on the story. Which is what I did. <laughs> Press board on the thumbstick, that's about yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, I was hugely excited by that. But bearing in mind that per their investor briefing, they're targeting PC for what, uh, quote unquote exponential growth. Um, I was a bit disappointed we only had one PC announcement. Hopefully there'll be more to come. But, you know, the, the elephant in the room is, you know, what's happening with Uncharted, right? Um, 
that's supposed to that's supposed to be sort of uh, coming out. Well, there was a leak that it was going to be June twentieth. I'm not sure that's actually going to be the case now, since we're getting very very close to June twentieth, and there's not been any kind of PR whatsoever. Uh, I, uh, um, one thing that's kind of interesting about this is this is the first time I think PC has taken a spotlight as well as a part of all this state of play stuff. Usually it's, you know, usually it's like announced on a blog and not even like a blog that says it's coming out on PC. It's like a sentence in the blog that said Jim Ryan said it's also coming out on PC or something like that. You know, like this, like they usually would like, uh, I don't know how to say that, uh, put it under the rug or whatever. Um, here it's actually front full frontal. Uh, if you're into that kind of thing. So somewhat really cool. <laughs> they've got uh, full really, frontal. <laughs> they've got full frontal. Um, I'm really excited for this. I think it's just a thing, you know, sign of things to come. This Miles Morales launching in autumn would be a little less than two years after its launch on PlayStation 5. So uh, maybe that's in the new timeline of things, a uh, little less than two years, or maybe even quicker. We'll see. I don't know. I think that if Sony is going to be targeting PC for exponential growth, uh, I, I think they kind of need to be a bit more aggressive in their marketing and their rollout strategies. If the games are two years old, you, you know, it's fine. You can talk about them. There's no problem there. You know, um, start showing the games, start doing PC specials. If it's that important to uh, the continued growth of the of the brand, you know, don't be ashamed about it. You know, don't just sneak it in midpoint of a state of play. Uh, I mean, we've seen the sales figures for uh, the titles they've put out. 2.4 million uh, copies of Horizon Zero Dawn sold, almost a million on God of War. You know, this is something, this is a you know exciting opportunity for Sony. And there's uh, an eager audience in the in the PC gamers out there who want these games. So, you know, be a bit more forward about it. Be proud of it. I mean, this is the other thing which I think is uh, um, really noteworthy is that, yes, there was problems with uh, Horizon for, um, Zero Dawn at launch, right? It wasn't a great port, but they got it into shape. And since then, Days Gone, God of War... These have been really good conversions, really good PC games. They haven't been afraid to you know, embrace uh, PC technologies. Uh, they don't seem to be too concerned about the fact that um, you know, God of War is, can use uh, advanced PC features that aren't available to PlayStation users. This is really impressive stuff. And you know, I really do think they could do a much better job of communicating this to the PC audience. Yeah, you know, that'd be great. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about more games. Callisto Protocol, John. Yeah. This looked really, really good, right? Yeah. So uh, I was talking with Alex before, and I was like, man, this looks like Dead Space 4. And Dead it's Space. Like, yeah, yeah, it's because it's Glenn Schofield Studio, which I forgot about. Sure enough, <laughs> it is essentially a spiritual follow-up to Dead Space, and it looks extremely good, I have to say. Uh, the the lighting and materials work, like the character model stuff, uh just absolutely phenomenal looking, very atmospheric. Uh, this is this is exactly what I've wanted from a next generation take on that style of game. And there aren't many games like this anymore. So I'm also extremely happy to see that it does exist at all and seems to be pushing some pretty advanced technology, right? Like this, this 
you were saying, Alex, you you looked more into this than I did originally, and it seems like it, it uses its own in-house technology, right? That's what it appears to be based upon everything, and also just visually. Uh, it like I just want to say, like usually nowadays, if something's using Unreal, and Unreal 4 especially, my goodness, it's completely obvious. It's super obvious. Here, um, so uh, just there was a tweet online from Jorge Jimenez. I think that's how he pronounces his name. Uh, he's uh, a person in the rendering field who worked originally, uh, like collaborated with Crytek back in the day to make SMA T2X, then moved on to Activision's research and pushed the Activision, then Activision engine and tech in like a, in terms of research and development, like made like the way they do motion blur in that game, which is like used in tons of games now. Um, Sub you know, push the character rendering, subsurface scattering, yes, separable screen space, subsurface scattering, S S S S S S S. Made that. Um, so really big name in tech, and apparently been working at that studio now for two years. And I had no idea about that. I just had completely stopped following uh, their progress uh, and their career there, uh, and uh, really proud of their work. Like, and was really highlighting that uh, like facial kind of stuff they showed in there, like the character rendering of that face. Actually, at that one moment, I actually did. I was watching on my phone originally. I did actually think they like blended in. Uh, like some sort of like Call of Duty-esque like real people thing. Uh, I wasn't actually sure that was pre-rendered or in-engine stuff. It was that good looking. Um, so I'm excited. I'm excited. That character was really, really wonderful looking. Uh, I'm really excited to see it. Um, I, I'm just, you know, like once again, uh, I'm just it's next-gen only targeting PC, Xbox Series X, uh, you know, PlayStation. Oh. It was. Are you sure about that? It says PS4 at the end as well. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> no. Sorry, oh, Alex. Maybe, maybe I shouldn't get so excited. No, but of course, I think I can still get excited because you know it's Dead Space. It's quite this corridor esque. Maybe they'll, they'll maybe they'll really turn down those graphics on level three. Just consider, there. Alex. I don't know. Crisis <laughs> One was on the PS Triple, right? Yeah. Like you can still <laughs> make true. these things work on older hardware. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. By turning, changing a lot of stuff, or like you know, tuning things down. Yeah, maybe we'll be like a Horizon Forbidden West kind of thing, or Forza Horizon Five, where they do a good job porting it, but it sure does look really different. Uh, so I'm gonna hope for that. Yeah. So there was a new story this week where uh, the studio announced that Callisto Protocol would no longer be taking place in the PUBG universe, and I looked at this, and I was looking at this trailer, and I was like, in what parallel timeline could this have been a part of the PUBG universe in any sense it's just bizarre i, I feel like I that know. must have been some sort of like uh ploy to get marketing or sorry to get a budget like yeah we'll, right, uh, yeah. we'll uh, sit it in the uh, PUBG universe and then they just do their <laughs> thing and it's like you know i mean uh, technically this is the PUBG universe you know it's like uh, it's not the far-flung future <laughs> where they're no longer doing battle royale <laughs> yeah. But instead moping about corridors. <laughs> this is just incredible, right? I mean mm -hmm. I mean I think the thing to say it's no longer set in the Dead Space universe would be more believable. <laughs> uh, that <one's> good. That's, good. <laughs> that's clearly uh, a stretch of the imagination as well. Cause it I mean I mean it's awesome, but it does look like Dead Space. <laughs> Uh, any other titles? We want to, I think we've got to talk about Street Fighter Six because there's been controversy, there's been discord, 
There's been there've there've been uh, mild arguments. There've been raised eyebrows. There've been Alex, is this another Matrix Awakens comments? Uh, let's talk about this. I'm going to go to you on this one, Alex, because uh, Street Fighter Six trailer. Uh, John and I think it think it looks pretty good, uh, but you're not happy. Uh, it's it's just a general. I really love Street Fighter 2 and 3 and all the iterations of 3 and 2. I love their artwork. I love the 2D look. And I do not like the way 4 and 5 look at all. I know Audi likes 5 quite a bit uh, in the way it looks in motion, which I can agree with that there's some good animation work in there. But it's more about the general, it's more about the general proportions and the shading. I don't think, I know everyone can watch this trailer and they have gameplay stuff. And gameplay is probably going to be great. But just like... The shading on the models and the proportion of the models, I just, I just don't feel it at all. And I really wish that they instead would have gone the anime route. Um, but that's way, that's way more expensive. You can't just like use basic Unreal. Like this is probably going to be. Alex, they could have taken a, a page from uh, um, what they did with Guilty Gear Xrd, right? Those guys over there. Yeah, uh, that's what like I think about all the time. Very animated looking, drawn. Uh, well, it's not actually though. It's 3D polygons, but it's all keyframe based, right? Without interpolation, it's very convincing. Yeah, that's just that's just like that's the Discord here. And the thing that Rich is referencing is that when I loaded up Matrix Awakens originally, I, I was really I hated the 24 FPS presentation so much that I was just like typing into Alt Pat uh, uh, there in the DF uh, thing that it looked ugly. Uh, but that's what that's referencing. But I think in general, though, it is a good showing for the game. They actually showed it off. They we have a good sense of what the gameplay and what the graphics look like. Much better than the initial showing, which was just like. Were you standing there? Um, so that that was <laughs> that was really good. I'm happy to see that. I don't know, John. Tell me about your thoughts about Street Fighter Six, please. I, I don't know if you guys when they were first showing the trailer and like the dude wandering around, which is a cool thing to maybe add something else to the gameplay. Uh, but I actually thought, wait, is this a Final Fight reboot? I legit thought like that's where they were going, and then they started showing more Street Fighter specific characters, and like, oh, okay. It's Street Fighter Six, but uh, I I like the way Street Fighter Four and Five looked, but I actually think this looks better than those. Uh, I like these character models, and I love the motion blur. By the way, it makes all the moves just look really, really cool. Uh, I think the backgrounds with that there's like a weird like desaturation, but also with splotches of color in it that look pretty interesting. Um, you know, it's hard to say much more right now. It's just I, I like where they're going with it visually, and I think it's probably going to be pretty cool. And that whole city mode, it's almost like uh, I'm almost thinking of that NBA game I looked at near the launch of PS5 where you could actually go out in the city and wander around. And I, I'll be curious if it's see if it's like that, where, like, one of the things I never liked about modern fighting games being online is that you lose this sort of, like, community aspect in terms of just like being in an arcade space right uh the matchmaking stuff you know obviously if you just want to get to the action that should be there but i like the idea of potentially building out something else around that between the fighting that could be interesting so i'll be curious to see what they do with that but most importantly not that it's a great logo they did change the logo it's not that adobe stock footage 
or stock image thing. If you remember that, the original Street Fighter Six logo they showed was just a stock image from the Adobe. Did, did they round off some edges or something? Uh, maybe oh, like slightly slanted or something like but that. But it, yeah. it was super weird that they did that, uh, and it still has that angular design. But it is, it looks to be original now. So, well, I think uh, the fact that we've got so few uh, fighting games in the AAA space, you know, they're having serious money invested into them. It's a bit of a shame, right? And this is pretty much the, the the only shot we've got, you know. Otherwise, it's kind of moved into the sort of uh, double B territory for fighting games, if you, if you will. So I will be watching this one with uh, great interest, Palpatine style. Before we move on to the next game, and just very quickly give a shout out to Roller Drome, which you didn't think looked great, but I love what Roll7 does. And Ali Ali... Ali Ali and Ali Ali World specifically is phenomenal. It's so much fun. Very simple, clean little game. It's a 4K 120fps game too on uh, the the next gen consoles, which is pristine image quality with that sort of animated look. And Roller Drum looks like it's their first move into real, like full 3D kind of movement. And I was thinking of like Hyperblade with like Tony Hawk with like a shooter and like half pipes. And it's just, it looks like it could be a lot of fun and knowing how Ali Ali plays, which it's a very streamlined, very simple kind of design, but just it's so satisfying to play and nail those moves. And I suspect the controls will be very snappy in this. So I'll be curious to see what they do with it. So that's it. Just wanted to throw that out there because I like what they're doing with it. Well, we don't have to wait too long. It's out in August, isn't it? Yeah, I'll probably do a video on it. <laughs> nice Great stuff. A final discussion point from State of Play. I think we've got to talk about this one. <laughs> final Fantasy 16. It's looking pretty hot. Uh, impressions there, Alex? Uh, this is the one where uh, I actually just kind of thumbed through the trailer a bit. I was, <laughs> I'm not so interested in these, this game uh, because I didn't. I was not really impressed with Final Fantasy VII re, uh, remake and Final is Fantasy XV. No, this is this is this is not Unreal, thankfully. Um, but. Uh, I also didn't like the direction of Final Fantasy XV in terms of gameplay, but I loved the visuals a lot. Uh, that's like one of those games where I think the visuals are really, really well done. Um, so here, I just, you know, I can only really comment on the visuals, but uh, that was really uh, kind of the part of the trailer that wowed me a lot. I really do like the that they're still keeping the stylization of the characters within like that Final Fantasy look. Um, you know, they could have easily gone like the route that the route that they've gone with Forspoken, where it is much more realistic, scanned look to these characters. Um, but this one still has an edge of stylization in it that I uh, really enjoyed. But other than that, um, I think I need to see more gameplay <laughs> to, to make a better comment. I mean, luckily, Alex, Final Fantasy games, I mean, the series is known for being extremely different with each entry, right? So, like, I don't think this is going to be like Final Fantasy 15 or 7 Remake. It's clearly it's going to be its own thing. Uh, but what's fascinating about this one is, as far as I know, the core technology is actually derived from the crystal tools done, which was created for Final Fantasy 13 and used in Final Fantasy 14. But, you know, obviously it's evolved since then, but now they're able to unleash it on uh, just next-gen systems. I don't think it's a cross-gen game. Uh, and so, you know, basically being able to just target that machine, possibly, I mean, I don't know if it's coming to PC either. I would expect it might, but we'll have to wait and see. But yeah, it's, uh, 
I get a feeling, I, I don't think it's going to play like it, but it reminds me of like Final Fantasy twelve a little bit, which went for like a slightly more uh, noble, grounded kind of atmosphere, right? Rather than just like the hyper, like super tech fantasy stuff, which which I also enjoy. But this this has more of a, it's, it's not a Matsuno game, but it, it kind of looks like it's more in that direction, like a vagrant story kind of theme, you know what I mean? So I think it could be seriously impressive and, and well-received. And the fact that it's coming out in summer 2023, it's like a year away still. So uh, I assume they're going to polish it further. But do you guys remember when they first showed off this game? That initial trailer did not look great. And I feel like they've come a long way visually from, from that trailer. Oh, yeah, for sure. That I think we kind of were dunking on that initial trailer originally when it came out. Yeah, so, yeah. But the performance was really bad in that initial trailer, too. I know. I'm, I'm happy to see that they've clearly come a long way, and I think it should be pretty darn good. What's the reasoning, do you think, that, you know, obviously they moved on to uh, Unreal Engine 4 for a lot of their games. They seem to be sort of shifting to their other technologies for specific titles. Why? I mean, surely the whole point of embracing Unreal Engine is to essentially rid yourself of engine maintenance, technological movement, that kind of thing. I suspect that it's it's just a variable per team. So for instance, the Luminous studio uh, that created the Final Fantasy 15 engine, you know, Luminous, it makes sense for them to want to continue to use their own technology, especially after they invested so much money into its creation and it was only used in one game. So I can see why they would stuck, stick with that for Forspoken, right? But then the Crystal Tool stuff, I'd imagine they had to continue to keep that up to date because of Final Fantasy XIV, right? Uh, that's a huge game. Not that, you know, it's a different sort of game, but I'd imagine that that's probably related somehow to that and that there's still a familiarity with working with those tools uh, and whatever team is working on sixteen may have some involvement there. So it's probably just easier for them to continue with that rather than trying to all learn Unreal. And uh, they probably also watched all of Alex's videos about the Unreal stutter. And they were just like, no, we don't want that. We cannot have that. And they're like, we're no stuttering allowed in this game. Uh, so, <laughs> you know. Oh, only if it were so simple. I also, like John, think uh, that this is a, a per team thing. And also probably the timelines are really important. This game might have started its concepting quite a quite a long time ago actually um and that's when maybe the engine was the primary engine that this team was using maybe if they started later it would have actually been something that they thought this is an unreal unreal situation so um that's my only thing i have to say about that but i'm happy they're not using unreal uh it's nice to see custom tech i think overall this is a really strong showing a really nice state of play i enjoyed watching it there are only a few sort of stuff that uh, titles that didn't impress me overall i really enjoyed it but there is <laughs> the fact that they showed nothing of god of war ragnarok whatsoever which i thought was quite interesting there's still no sort of uh, indication of when it's actually going to come out although the smart money seems to be on uh, september this year based on merchandising leaks and ratings and stuff i suspect the reason it didn't show up is because this was a multi-game kind of show and i think i suspect god of war will receive its own sort of state of play presentation right closer to launch probably in the summer they're going to do some kind of big blowout for it and then we'll see it again that that's my best guess are you still optimistic of 2022 release for it john oh absolutely i actually think it'll hit no problem 
uh, it's one of the only it's one of the only games <laughs> I think that will actually big games I think will actually hit its date this year. Well, Callisto mm. Protocol, which is not set in the PUBG universe, yeah. um, is uh, <laughs> December this year as well, which was yeah. another boost. I think that was so, a surprise, yeah. and that's that's a welcome one. I would say. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Again, <laughs> um, channeling I, Palpatine. It's <laughs> a surprise is, for sure. Uh, I think uh, I think the Dead Space remake is slotted for not too far off after Callisto Protocol. So I'm curious um, if they're going to keep doing that. Like, because we don't want the situation like Second Sight and uh, what's the name of the game that Second Sight is exactly like, John? Uh, oh, you know, like where, like were they really two of the exact, almost the exact same game conceptually at the same time? Um, so let's hope they do not do that. Oh, I forget Psyops. the Psyops. 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 Thank you, John. Yeah, um, let's hope they don't do that because I want, I also want the Dead Space remake to be successful because I think they both deserve mindshare. I really like the original Dead Space, but I also want to see uh, the iteration uh, that Glenn and his team there. I think they're called Danger Close. Studios or no, something that like that. That was the older name uh, used uh, when they developed something else. Something in the PUBG universe. No, I feel like I Danger know. Close was like for that for the gritty Medal of Honor reboot. Ah, is that what it's called? Yeah. Maybe that was it. Or yeah, God, you're right. Maybe it was actually With called that back then. With dude bro beards everywhere. And the, Everyone's got dude bro beards. Eighteen beard. frames per second with full screen tearing. <laughs> on the PS triple. Um, yeah. I don't want that situation, so... It's called Striking Distance Studios, Alex. It's close. I don't Striking know. So there was, you know, there was the, the, the concept of being close, the concept of there being uh, the hint of danger. That's, a, that's all that he has. That's the, if he yeah. makes a th another studio after this, it'll be some variant of that, I suspect. <laughs> oh dear um i think you know another takeaway i've got from this particular state of play is man 2023 is going to be packed with games until they're mm -hmm. delayed until they're until delayed, delayed of course <laughs> but you know um 2022 has been pretty threadbare so far beyond the first quarter madness and there's not really much going on right up until sort of you know uh, modern warfare 2 uh, which had a teaser this week, which we're not going to talk about because there's nothing to really discuss there. <laughs> but um, let's move on to our next topic. So this has got nothing to do whatsoever with Sony's state of play, but we did get um, seven minutes of Sonic Frontiers gameplay. Um, on the one hand, it's great to see video for a new Sonic game. On the other, we're kind of a bit bemused and baffled by what they're actually trying to, to achieve with this footage. John, thoughts? Yeah, as the resident uh, Sonic fan and expert, I guess, on the channel, uh, I kind of, I think I tweeted about this. I said this has that, that hire this man Nintendo energy of where like somebody takes like a Mario model and drops it in like an Unreal Engine like open field. Uh, it <laughs> honestly, go look at Fantasy Star Online 2 from Sega. Go look at that world and then go look at Sonic Frontiers gameplay again. And you'll be like, wait a minute it's the same like it, they pretty much seemingly visually took fantasy star online 2 and then dropped sonic in it is how it how it looks and then they tossed in a bunch of sonic style things like floating rails and such which um you know sonic games have always had stuff like that that's fine it's it's more the fact that they're going for this like super realistic looking world that's what breaks it right like 
combining realism with these things in this way and then not actually trying to ground them just feels off but i feel like i'm getting lost in the weeds here the the issue with this and my big concern and maybe they'll still pull this off but is the fact that there's no like obvious like point to any of it it's just it looked like a tech demo they played one song throughout uh, a, a soft piano track sonic's just running around this gigantic map and like right away you're like wait he climbs a tower which actually looks kind of fun he gets to the top and then he immediately goes back down like not that i want tower climbing necessarily but what what was the purpose nothing in this demo actually had any sort of real purpose i feel you know what i mean like it just seemed like he was just running around the field which you know whatever but that's not enough for a game like this so i really hope that they have more stuff uh in line for it and i really hope it's not just like hey here's a bunch of open world mission dispensers where it's like you know you talk to some guy it zooms the camera in with a text box and says gee sonic i lost my chickens on the other side of that hill go pick them up and it involves like running around like a space picking things up and then you go back to him and say thanks for giving my chickens here's 10 rings uh like i hope it's not that well you know i'm looking at the footage now and here's the thing if you take out the sonic and the rings it could be anything that's what i'm saying it's, it could be fantasy yeah. star online too it's exactly yeah, the it's, same it's, i think uh, too i'd, I'd quite know. like to see this with uh the sonic uh, character they replaced with ugly sonic from the uh from the movie that could be sort of a, a sort of it would fit the art take. style probably better uh, <laughs> more realistic take on sonic I, I also agree with john there that uh the world design beyond the visual design but just like the, the thing that they showed off as gameplay it doesn't seem good for a sonic game the uh, people people talk about like breath of the wild but the reason why breath of the wild works is because it has a lot of systemic stuff in it like the physics and the and just like the general sandbox of it all but so sonic doesn't have a sandbox of tools he's got slight move set variations and he goes really fast and that's not open world design friendly it, it i don't i don't be. know it could be though like the idea of traversing a world very quickly and like doing all this stuff over a large space is something that's been demonstrated in the homebrew community with fan games and it can work extremely well uh that's what i was hoping for here but but this doesn't have that and as you say the style like at least from my perspective the sonic games have one of the most distinctive visual styles like in the history of games when it comes to environments right that checkerboard design the the weird like tree stuff like all the different zones in there like that stuff is extremely iconic uh it's very unique and it looks awesome and translating that into a full 3d space like this could have been interesting so i just don't understand why they thought let's just make this like generic fantasy world like i i don't understand where that comes from so i haven't completely necessarily written it off we need to see more of it but this really felt like a tech demo, not a game that's supposed to come out in five months, right? <laughs> Plus the frame rate was bad. Like, what the heck? Why would you, with these new consoles that we have, you can't put out a Sonic game and be like, yeah, we're going to do like 30 FPS with huge drops. Like, come on. Like, this is just completely misguided, I feel. This is supposed to come to Switch as well, apparently. Like, how? 
like it's just uh i don't know the whole thing it's it's very disappointing and all i can say is i guess uh at least we can still get our sonic fix from freedom planet 2 which is coming out sometime this year which i am very excited about and i think it'll be better than this but we'll see well it's not an, a promising initial showing is it for sure no, no. and, and um it sucks. i'm really I think it's a, i'm so bummed out I, uh, something i've noticed is kind of like a recurring theme on ign first is that you just generally tend to get um big titles or, or or interesting titles we're eagerly looking forward to and you get a kind of random footage drop as opposed to anything that's kind of more guided and or more explanatory or, or something that's sort of designed to make you excited it's sort of almost the opposite here footage drop could be okay i think if it actually showed something that made sense but like there needs to be some context here like this feels like a video like you remember those old school videos like Bioshock one had it where like you'd see a gameplay demo and you'd have one of the developers basically talking about it like as they play and like okay here's what you can do in this this is why I'm doing this you know even if they don't show all the features they explain why things are being done in that video in a way that makes you go like okay I see what they're trying to do here and there's none of that here my expectations are tempered but I do want to see what it turns out to be and Maybe this is just a bad showing and there'll actually be something really fun here. So, so um, last week we covered the Asian reveal of uh, PlayStation Plus with its deluxe games uh, tier, which had classic games rather, uh, where we saw how Sony aims to tackle PlayStation 1, PlayStation 2 and PS Vita titles. Wasn't particularly impressive. The key problem being that uh, Power Games, 50 Hertz titles uh, were included in the mix and PS5, PS4, predominantly 60 hertz machines, just doesn't fit. Seen various bizarre mitigations resulting in ghosting artifacts. But PlayStation Plus has now appeared in a pure NTSC territory, Japan, and it looks as though at least the power issues are a thing of the past. Now, John, you've been taking a look at this one, right? This is actually kind of what I had hoped and expected, given that uh, they would typically choose a version of the game that fits the regional language as closely as possible. Obviously, in Japan, they're not going to put out English versions of these games, right? Uh, and the only Japanese versions that exist are the NTSC ones. So that actually makes sense. And I'm happy to see it. Of course, the big question still remains what they're going to do in the West. I, I, get, I get the feeling Europe is just going to get PAL games again. Uh, and the US might too, if the PlayStation Classic is anything to go by. So uh, it really could go either way. I mean, that doesn't. Having NTSC definitely helps a lot. It doesn't solve all the issues I have with the emulation. It's close. It's kind of what closer to what we expected. I think is. Uh... I guess what I'm what I'm pondering is whether you can easily get access to the Japanese store and just use those versions. But not everybody wants to jump through those hoops, and I suspect you know you'd have to sign up for the Japanese version of the service. And... You know, based on uh, probabilities, it's likely that. Uh, the US territory would probably get the US versions of the games. I mean, if you looked at the uh, PlayStation 2 classics on PS4, you know, GTA being the classic example, you did get 60 hertz versions. So maybe this is setting the precedent that the US version of PlayStation Plus will get the proper classic games. But on the flip side, as you pointed out, John, I mean, this could be a hardware production thing. The, the PlayStation Classic, the little mini console, got power games. <laughs> which is just unbelievable. Um, I don't know. I think the, the key thing for us as people who reside in the European territory is that 
well, it's looking likely we're going to be getting those 50 hertz games, and I'm hoping that there's some kind of rethink going on at Sony at the moment. But I don't know. Where do we go from there? There's there's a lot to be done there, isn't there? I mean, it's not just the, the 50 hertz stuff. The PlayStation 2 emulator is just not in a in a fit state, really. It hasn't progressed at all since 2015, from what we've seen so far. And um, and the PlayStation 1 emulator, PSP. I mean, you covered off all of the issues in your video, really. Yeah, exactly. So, and I guess I should clarify that the reason we did the video early actually is to raise awareness of these issues in hopes that just talking about them will cause a rethink, as you say. Uh, so crossing our fingers that somebody actually noticed it and was like, all right, maybe we should not do the PAL versions in all these regions, uh, but we'll see what happens. I think you know the bottom line is that the problem was there before uh, facing another platform holder, Nintendo, and it was solved simply by offering you know, the, the ability to choose the territory. That, that's an elegant solution that keeps everybody happy. Mm -hmm. Yes. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let's move on to our next discussion point. Um, I guess it's not so much a discussion point, more a public service announcement, but uh, God of War on PC was updated with FSR 2.0, and uh, we've not had the time to look at it yet. At the time of uh, recording this, we're actually supposed to be on holiday, <laughs> but we can't because we've got a direct to do. Um, Alex, do you want to quickly talk about this? Yeah, sure. So uh, God of War came out of nowhere uh, with this FSR 2.0 update. Could have maybe expected it at some point in the future due to the fact that they accidentally released the uh, UI string for it at one point. Uh, but uh, it's a little bit strange that it is actually releasing because uh, FSR 2.0 actually doesn't support DX11, uh, which is curious. Um, they said they would only work with uh, developers on a per-game basis. They wouldn't actually release DX11 code for FSR 2.0. So this is a custom job uh, by the team there at, I forget the name of the studio, like Santa Rocket Monica Studios. No, no, it's not Santa Monica. This is the porting house uh, oh. that did it. Uh, it's like something squirrel? I don't know. Oh, blind uh, squirrel? Rock, uh, I don't know, <laughs> something like that. Rocket Works? I don't know oh, what okay. it's called, something like that. I'm, I'm Googling um, Alex. Yeah, yeah. Just embarrass me, please, with another name that I don't remember. I am, I'm, uh, I am googling Alex as well, and oh boy. No. <laughs> public service announcement is that yes, I will be covering this when I get uh, back from holiday here on the Monday. I'll be starting right up right away, and it's gonna. I'm gonna be doing a more streamlined video than I did with the initial FSR 2.0, where I just get straight into the meat of it because we already know what it does. I don't need to explain things Jet, again. Jetpack interactive, Alex. Jetpack. Jetpack. Yeah, Nothing to do with squirrels. We can rule out all um, mammal-based life forms <laughs> apart from humans. Yeah. Jet, yeah. Jetpack uh, interactive. Jetpack humans. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, what I want to do is there was a list of things in that video that I put at towards the end of FSR 2.0 where I say, like, I'm going to look at hair. I'm going to look at transparencies. I'm going to look at da-da-da. I'm literally going to do those type of tests, but add one more that I thought of in the meantime. Uh, uh, and so that's what the whole video is going to be about. That, comparing that to native, uh, and uh, of course, DLSS. So that's what it's all about, and that's what I'm doing next week. And um, another PSA, um, this actually came up at the state of play. Sony has uh, updated, or rather Guerrilla Games has updated Horizon Forbidden West with a new, uh, with a new mode, or rather a, a reinterpretation of the performance mode, which is supposedly looking better. Um, and there's new game modes included as well. Uh, John, we're going to be looking at that possibly as a standalone video, but you've already taken a look at it, right? Um, first impressions are that it does look 
better in many ways. Uh, it's more temporally stable, but it does sort of use sort of a sharpening effect. So uh, it's tricky. I need to see it. I need to test it more to decide fully. But I think most people, just based on what I saw, will be happier with it as it does look. Uh, the problem with the original performance mode is essentially that it was soft, but also full of shimmering. So like when you look at the foliage, you can see a lot of shimmering and a lot of noise and many of the surfaces as well. And that has been cleaned up a lot. Uh, so yeah, I need to see what we can do on that one. And moving on to other contents uh, that we're talking about at the moment, or rather developing, uh, the Year of the Twipple. For some bizarre reason, we didn't plan this, it's just happened organically. Uh, DF Retro has been taken over by PlayStation 3. <laughs> <laughs> and um, what started as uh, you know a very simple project that we thought we could do in a few days or a week is now is now is now reaching the end of week three of development. It is uh, PlayStation Three: The Rise and Fall of the 1080p Dream. Every I think at this point you must have every single 1080p title. This is the big thing. I wish you just don't know. The problem is them. I just don't know. There's there's so many games for this thing. I, I can't test every single game. I've gone through with a fine tooth comb. There's probably more than 60, 70 games in this video now. Uh, I feel like it gives a pretty good spread of what 1080p looked like on the PS3 throughout its entire lifetime and how, and you can really see some changing trends in there. I'm just finishing the 2013 section. So we're getting right near the end. I had to finish capturing Gran Turismo 6 though, and that actually took. It started by saying about 1,100 minutes remaining. Uh, it took all night to finish installing and updating itself, uh, which is insane. It's the worst installation I've ever seen on anything ever, I would say. Like, I don't think there's any game that takes more time to install than Gran Turismo 6. <laughs> it's, it's the worst. So 1,100 minutes, right? Yeah, 1,100 minutes. Because uh, th that, that comes to about 18.3 hours. So it actually, <laughs> it after about 30 minutes it dropped down to eight minutes but that eight minutes ended up lasting the entire night so uh, i don't know what's what's up so it actually took about like seven hours probably based on my uh estimation so it's not it's not short it's pretty bad but yeah uh the video is is gigantic it's like three hours possibly more uh for patrons for the public channel, I think I'm going to break it up into three videos. Uh, and it's going to be sort of a, like, you know, it'll be like 2006 to 2008 and then 2009. You know, you know what I mean? Kind of break it up that way. And so you really see the progress of it because there is, it's really interesting to see how developers change their approach. And what made it so difficult to find every single game is the fact that near the end, so many, like the rise of indie games and all these small games just started to just run at 1080p with like a lot of like simple 2D artwork. It just became really common uh, in a way that's like, oh man, this is, so I feel like the first two or three years I got every single game, but then after a certain point, there's just too many where it's like, I kind of have to pick the best examples and the most interesting examples and kind of look at those. So uh, either way, it's going to be very comprehensive and hopefully a lot of fun. Uh, I can't wait to see what people think. And I hope because it's uh, it's probably it's just it's required a lot of time, but it's it's fun.
is it though? I mean, <laughs> is it well, though, it know? was fun. It's less fun at the moment. It's lost some of its fun because now I'm just like cr- trying to get it done. Desperately wants it to end. <laughs> I have not I stopped working th- on this every single day for weeks. <laughs> the thing, yeah, the thing about the other, well, the other thing that sort of stands out to me is that that generation, uh, and with PS3 specifically, it wasn't great times technically, was it? I mean, there was a lot of innovative work being done, a lot of interesting new techniques, but the, the hardware just wasn't particularly impressive the big thing i noticed is after like 2010 or so 1080p games tended to go towards more 1080p at 60 frames per second and then everything else went like sub 30 fps so you had all the games that were targeting high resolutions typically were very conservative visually and went for a clean simple art direction often 2d but they deliver 60 fps Whereas everything else that was pushing technology was like, well, 720 at best, and usually under 30 a lot of the time. And so there's this huge divide there that in the end, I actually feel like like the 1080p stuff has aged a lot better than the lower resolution stuff on PS3, which is uh, kind of wild to see. Well, I'm going to be looking forward to that. I did have some very small part to play in that. Yes, and, your help um, was appreciated. Because yes. so, so some of the games you, you had access to that I did not, because for pretty much every, except most games don't have demos and all the rest I either already owned or had to purchase. So, uh, you know, this is not just like going through like a ROM list. This is all stuff I had to buy or, and some of it's, some of these games aren't even accessible anymore because the PSN is in shambles. Like it's, it's so pathetically bad right now. So many games are gone, delisted forever. They're just not there. I had a lot of stuff on my download list, but a lot of that stuff is like not available for purchase anymore. So, wow, it's not great. Uh, but it is surprising that the, a lot of these games update at all. I mean, to the beginning of the generation, they had their own individual updaters built into the game, and uh, I was shocked that Call of Duty Three on PlayStation Three, with its own internal updater, does actually update. <laughs> yeah, because it's not the case Still. with like Resistance or MotorStorm. They really? Shut, they shut that stuff down as far as I know. I know MotorStorm, the update is gone. You can't actually get the update version anymore. So, but yeah, Call of Duty 3, one of the worst Call of Duty conversions of all time, still has the update up, which is amazing. Yeah, I did capture that one for you, and it is, uh, it is genuinely astonishing, I think is the, the phrase. Not in a good way. Okay, let's move on. So uh, final part of the show, this is uh, Supporter Q&A. We're backers of the DF Supporter Program. Issue forth their queries on Patreon, and uh, we choose the best, and uh, we answer them here in the show. Uh, first question from James Post. Any thoughts on breathless tech site stories saying RTX cards are quote-unquote <laughs> back to MSRP? I'm not seeing many or any cases where you can actually buy the original 10 gig 3080 card for $699. And in some cases, I think MSRPs have changed. Ah, yeah, tricky, right, Alex? I mean, the good news is that availability is no longer a problem. You don't have to be you know, paying two times sticker price for a 3080. But um, the concept of MSRP is a bit of a moving target, right? Yeah, it's going to change, essentially. Uh, a big part of this is uh, you're not just looking at the, uh, the stock 
um, forget the, the reference model, the founder's edition model of these cards. You're also looking at variations with different clocks and different shrouds and different heatsink fans uh, from all the other uh, board partners that they are that that exist. And there's a, quite a number of them for NVIDIA cards. Uh, so you're you're not looking at usually the stock model. And I think that's something that these board partners uh, exploit actually uh, t for very minor differences in the end, uh, they can increase the price uh, based upon market conditions in a much easier fashion than they could from NVIDIA's side for GFE cards, uh, Founders Editions cards, sorry. Um, that's the one thing. Uh, an, uh, another thing that I would want to say is uh, you should maybe not just look at the normal retail, but look at B-Stock. I know um, EVGA has a good B-Stock website and those are usually, I've bought B-Stock cards before in my life uh, and they've always worked fine. Uh, I've had no issues with them. And uh, those are closer to MSRP, uh, the original uh, MSRP that you found from the NVIDIA reference card. Uh, I know that for a fact. So take a look at that if you're interested in that at all. But honestly, at this point in time, <clears throat> those next RTX cards are just around the corner. So maybe you shouldn't buy a 3000 series. I don't know. What do you think, Rich? Uh, <laughs> yeah, there have been leaks this week about um, 4000 series coming later this year. In fact, there was, uh, I think, Igor's Lab. Think yes. Great name. For Igor, I love that guy. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, yeah, he's basically uh, published a rollout of um, testing for 4000 series cards. Uh, video cards continue their leaking extravaganzas. There's talk there of uh, 4090 in August or whatever. It's not so far away. Uh, meanwhile, there is a buildup of stock of 3000 Ampere cards. Um, so, yeah, we're in a tricky position at the moment where um, it's been really difficult to source these cards. And now we've got the successors just around the corner. I think the one thing to bear in mind is that, you know, the fact that 4000 series is coming doesn't mean that 3000 is suddenly going to be awful um, or, you know, or suddenly obsolete. It, they'll just move down a notch or two on the on the ladder, on the stack ladder, so to speak. I mean, even Turing, uh, the 2018 cards have really held up really well. Um, absolutely. So, yeah, it's it's not great times for PC uh, gamers because you know, now you can actually buy any of these cards. Availability isn't really a problem. The concept of MSRP is a bit fluid, but I think it only really, um, you know, 699, 3080 is typically the really low end third party cards, plus the founders editions, which are quite rare. So yeah, otherwise it's you seem to be paying hundreds of dollars for um, advanced high-end cooling solutions, which, as you say, Alex, I mean, you're talking about maybe 5% faster than a, a standard model. It's just, you know, I think you just need to be a bit smart about which card you choose. I mean, um, I think the classic example is uh, those 2080 Ti's that came with single fan coolers. I think it was the Asus Turbo models. Uh, I wouldn't recommend those, <laughs> but I do think that generally speaking, um, cooling seems to be massively over-engineered, particularly at the lower end. I mean, like a 3060 or even a 3050 having- Barely like, needs a fan. Yeah. yeah, I mean, those cards are really efficient. I mean, the smaller the chip, the more efficient it is, the less heat it puts out. Um, it doesn't really need um, high-end cooling. And the concept of overclocking in general is such that, um, 
boost clocks have kind of given the vast majority of that performance increase to the user out of the box. So, you know, I don't even bother overclocking my cards anymore. Uh, certainly the CPUs and GPUs, it's all done for you really these days. So it's just about choosing, uh, you know, a card that gets the job done and making sure that your PC is well ventilated, really. Uh, beyond that, it's a case of, you know, just choose the sweet spot. But MSRP's tricky. That's a funny one, Rich, because I view overclocking these days as essentially how loud do you want your fans to be? That's exactly <laughs> it. It is so that. It is so that. <laughs> yeah, like, or do yeah. you want to invest hundreds of dollars in a high-end cooling water cooling solution yes you could also do or, that or in this case also with the wattage wars uh, oh, you've got how much how big do you want your electricity <laughs> bill to be <laughs> absolutely yeah crazy crazy times uh, let's move on to the next question fascinating one from david laszlo what do you guys think amd needs to pull out of the hat to surpass or at least be on the same level 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 playing field sorry as nvidia on the pc market Seems like they are playing catch up for at least the past 10 years. Raster performance, G-Sync, DLSS, RT performance. I'm going to go to you on this one first, John, because I don't think, when was the last time you actually owned an AMD card? Oh man, it would have been, uh, I mean, the, I do have that 29 or the 290, whatever it is. Yeah, but yeah, I, I gave that, you gave to, that you. to me. <laughs> now, the last one that I actually purchased would have been a 5870. Uh, right okay which, oh that was the time yeah which was that a great was the last and i also had a um the the nine what was it the the 970 no not 970 9700 yeah 9700 yeah, 9, 9, pro that's what it was yeah. yes yeah so i haven't had too many ati slash amd cards but the ones i had then i thought were great uh, i got rid of the 5870 right around the time that rage came out because it was so badly supported on AMD cards, and I had so many launch issues where, like, a new game would come out. It was terrible on the 5870 until, like, a week or two later with a new driver, and that kept happening with new games, and Rage was, like, the final straw where I was like, screw this, I'm getting a, an NVIDIA card, and it fixed it, and I haven't gone back. So what do they need to do? I mean, it's, it's a really stiff challenge here, I think. It does feel like they've improved a lot in recent years, and their rasterized performance is generally pretty good i think but their nvidia has managed to to actually create compelling additions to their hardware uh in a way that you know everybody always made fun of the game work stuff right and look, stuff yeah. like hair works and all that and amd Turf works yeah exactly and that yeah. stuff was a bit silly kind of fun tech demo stuff but you know dlss ray tracing all of that stuff it's a it's a big deal it's a it's a serious value add um and amd has not been able to match it i will say their new dl or fsr 2.0 stuff the work there is very good but it runs faster on nvidia cards because of just the nature of how it works um and right now i feel like the ray tracing performance stuff is the biggest concern and with nvidia's new cards on the horizon I just don't know how easily they can catch up both in that space. And of course the machine learning stuff, which is obviously where a lot of next gen focus will be. I think in the space, there's a lot of engineering talent that's very interested and focused on the future of machine learning. NVIDIA is serving that AMD really isn't. And the problem is, is like just the amount of capital you need, the talent you need, the time to develop this stuff up. NVIDIA has been doing this for so long at this point. 
that I just don't see an easy way for them to catch up unless they have some sort of wild innovation that we don't see coming. I think there's there's a huge uphill battle here. First of all, there's the concept of branding. There have been times where AMD has outperformed NVIDIA in a specific market segment. Uh, the classic example that springs to mind is GTX 960, which was a hugely successful product, but not actually, from my perspective, a very good one. And um, AMD had the R9 380, which was a lot better, didn't shift the needle. Um, so I think there's a branding challenge here. I do, and, and I also think there is a technological and features challenge here uh, because, I mean, well, where do you start? I mean, well, let's take a look at how AMD have been disruptive. Ryzen. I mean, Alex and I are on um, AMD CPUs now. We, we left Intel behind, although, you know, that may change in the future because they've, they've come back strong. But that was genuinely disruptive. Somehow, AMD hasn't been able to be equally disruptive in the GPU space, right? Yeah, and it's because they haven't brought out, like, Ryzen, I feel like, was... You have a lot of cores and a lot of great multi-threaded performance that they give you out of the gate. And that's what they were pushing after years of stagnation. With their GPU line, they aren't really ever pushing in some direction and showing a new vision for the way GPU computing should be done. Uh, the, John, the irony is you've actually never bought an AMD card. The 5870 was the last ATI card that ever came out. Uh, <laughs> oh, so wait, that's true. That was really funny. That was, an AT, that was actually an ATI <laughs> that, card That was still. still ATI. That's really funny that you said that. Um, but uh, <laughs> I had to remember that. Um, but I, I also haven't purchased an AMD card for myself uh, actually ever. I've been an NVIDIA person. Uh, and not person, uh, a NVIDIA person, <laughs> a person who buys NVIDIA cards uh, ever since G80, um, because I felt like that was just really good. a genuine and, game changer. Yeah, and then, and then after that, I didn't, up, I didn't upgrade for a while anyway, so it just happened to line up with the time when I thought the next NVIDIA card was a good one. When I first met you, Alex, you 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 actually had a, like a Titan, which I yes, I had. A, you, I, I was like, wow, you, you actually bought one. Is it yeah? <laughs> I bought okay. a Titan. Yeah, the reason for that though was because I just really wanted. I was so like scarred from having low VRAM that I just wanted the most VRAM I could ever have. Uh, yeah, being VRAM limited is extremely uh, limiting. Uh, so that's why I've actually been really unhappy with some of this uh, RTX 3000 series stuff because I don't like the eight gigabytes of VRAM. But uh, okay, so let's get back to the topic at hand. Um, they haven't showed this like vision for the future yet with uh, their line of GPUs. And it is a matter of catch up as uh, uh, the person who asked this question, uh, David uh, here says, uh, where I think they need to push something out of the gate that NVIDIA does not do uh, well and then make NVIDIA catch up. And that's happened in the past with ATI, I feel like in the past, ever since AMD took over, they've won some nice price performance battles. Um, I think the 5870, other than tessellation performance, that was ATI, whatever. Uh, but like Rich was saying with the 960, and I also kind of feel like the RX 580 or RX 480 was also that. Yeah, the, four, the 580, if you think about it against the 1060, I mean, there's wins for both cards, right? Um, but, you know, the, the 580 had more memory generally, um, seemed to be have better um, support for low-level uh, APIs. But then again, there's some games where it just doesn't seem to perform well. 
which is just kind of bizarre, isn't it? But yeah, you're right. I mean, how do you disrupt a market? I mean, the, the main issue is that um, they aren't fabbing their own chips. They've, you know, so both NVIDIA and AMD have got to source, uh, they've got to source their chips from TSMC or Samsung. Uh, they've got to source the memory. This automatically sort of rules out um, uh, price disruption because they're not in control of the of the whole pipeline, as it were. Verizon, again, they use TSMC, but Intel was so complacent, they were there for the taking. One thing you can say about NVIDIA is they're not complacent in terms of technological innovation. You know, they, they push hard on every single generation. So ultimately, AMD come up with products that are, you know, best equivalent to NVIDIA um, alternatives, but they don't have the brand, they don't have the awareness. Um, there's been some really good stuff, uh, particularly with RDNA too, some really impressive technological innovations, but uh, again, ray tracing and, and uh, machine learning, uh, they've fallen short. What about um, the fact that AMD is so deeply connected to the console industry? And I wonder if this has any sort of impact on their R&D for PC graphics cards, because I assume, you would hope at least, that they make a decent amount of money from essentially doing these console SOCs, right? That's a really interesting point, John, because it is about who is your primary customer. For NVIDIA, it's not just the gamer, it's also the enterprise market. They, you know, they specifically highlighted ray tracing and um, machine learning features for the, for the server market as being of supreme importance. I think in their latest announcements, they actually made more money from that than from gaming for the first time. And, you know, by including Tensor Cores and RT Cores into uh, the gaming cards, what they're doing is unifying architectures across all markets, which is fundamentally a really clever thing to do. If we look at what AMD is doing, they have to um, accommodate the console manufacturers. And for the console manufacturers, it's all about getting the best possible value out of area on the chip. So the RT side of things was less fully featured than NVIDIA because, you know, that was the primary consideration of Microsoft and Sony. But, you know, you and I know, uh, John, that, um, you know, when we spoke to the architects of the Xbox, they were talking about RT features from 2016. So it's not as if AMD were caught out by Turing and are catching up. It's just that, you know, they knew it was coming. It's just that they had a different market to address and um, actually having the console manufacturers happy with their chips was supremely important because they don't have that enterprise market yet. So that has uh, resulted in very different designs for GPUs, which is paying off for NVIDIA. But, you know, there has been some fantastic progress efficiency on RDNA to clock speeds. You know, they're running their GPUs much faster than NVIDIA equivalents. I think they got it right with RAM as well, generally speaking. Um, everything being 16 gigs down to the you know the 6800 level, um, that's a that's definitely a plus point. I think that's a lesson that Nvidia have learned for 4000 series based on the leaks. Um, but that's the thing, right? Nvidia do respond quickly, and um, they do have these gigantic resources, which is going to make any kind of disruption in the GPU space from a competitive standpoint extremely difficult. Yeah, I don't know if this—I don't know if this is true at all, but it's just the the way like I feel ever since GCN came about was an emphasis on uh, large compute performance, but leaving the details of game performance uh, 
very much so up to how well that architecture was utilized uh, in the game or how well the driver was set up. And a slight aversion on AMD's side from using fixed function hardware. Um, I don't know if that's actually true at all, but it's just like, I'm just thinking about the, the things, the innovations that we see on NVIDIA sides are actually enabled by fixed function hardware. Um, it's not just like general compute and hoping that the open source market does something for them. They push their own APIs, they push their own uh, exclusive features. Um, obviously, I've, I've never been a fan of the fact that you can't run those things on other competitor GPUs. But at the same time, the value that they create by focusing in this direction is so, so good. I don't, I don't, I'm curious if maybe AMD can't compete in some aspects because they focus on a very different market capitalization where they push open source and they push general compute so much. I, I don't know, but I would love to see them for their next series of cards or the ones thereafter actually have dedicated resources in there for ray tracing. I don't think their their model of repurposing texture units is uh, very efficient. It's efficient in terms of area, <laughs> which is what, which is what the console guys are all about. Um, but you know, I think the fact that Intel seem to be floundering with uh, Arc kind of illustrates how difficult this is. It's not just an AMD thing, but you know, when we look at the architecture of Arc, it is very similar to what Nvidia are doing. There is going to be a sort of convergence, I think, and um, unless there's any more features that Nvidia can bring out, you know, maybe there will be a more level playing field a couple of years down the road. But in the here and now, they're still at the forefront. But yeah, interesting question. I'm going to move on quickly to this one from Andre Serles. Again, uh, apologies in advance if there's a mispronunciation there. Alex or Oliver, how about a comprehensive tech terms and techniques explanation video? No one has really covered Temple AA, TXAA, FSR, DLSS, DRS, DLDSR, KFCFX. I'd like to see KFCFX. Uh, that could be the game changer that we need to disrupt the graphics market. Um, so yeah, he wants all of these covered in a single definition style video. Is that really the best format for it though? No, um, because it's just a video that exists in time probably doesn't pull in any numbers. Uh, maybe it, someone references it occasionally and it spikes up. It's just not, it's not compelling video content, I don't think. Um, I do like the idea of explaining things in a holistic manner in a video. So some of these things that you mentioned here, Andre, I've explained them before in multiple K videos. KFC effects? <laughs> I've not explained KFC effects, but literally every single one of these things has been explained to me in extreme depth in at least one of my videos, or sometimes in multiple videos. Uh, there's an entire video I made about anti-aliasing, Andre. Um, it's really old, and I would have done it now differently than I did it back then, but it's there. Uh, so I think in this case, and John was right on the money when he said it, um, that this is maybe something where there's like a page. Like, I don't know if there's a video that can explain all these things, but there's a page that says like, oh, DLSS is this. And, oh, TAA is this. And maybe it says like an example of a game. I see for me personally, Alex, your tech focus videos as like an entertaining explanation of specific things. And then we have like an article that's like, or like a reference sheet that's essentially updated, like a FAQ, an FAQ, because that's the type of information people might just want to look up at a glance. And, you know, I'm, I don't, I'm not a big fan of videos that just spend the whole time going through terms and like walking through stuff that much because uh, it's hard to reference it quickly, especially with the way YouTube is and its ads. 
So like putting this in an article, I think makes the most sense. I'd like to see that anyway. Okay, let's move on to our next question. This one from the hilariously named Beefington Von Barnstorm. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, retro question. Why do most US, uh, Canadian, and Euro Genesis slash Mega Drive games just sound so much worse musically than their Japanese counterparts? Western devs did great things with the SNES sound chip, but why did they stick to Yamaha's marimba and awful fake guitar on the Mega Drive? Uh, this has got to be one for you, John. Uh, in my estimation, it comes down to the software used to make this stuff. A lot of Japanese developers created their own sound drivers for the Mega Drive, and that's actually the key is to getting the most out of it. And they were able to, the musicians created this in tandem with what they were trying to do. In the US at the time, a lot of Western devs I found just looking into it still composed using like general MIDI gear. So like they're using like a Roland keyboard or something or some other brand keyboard, essentially write a MIDI track. And then they use something like gems, which was that middleware, if you call it that for the sound driver for the, the Genesis made in the US uh, to sort of translate that music over. And I feel like the way they composed just didn't work well with with the the way the sound chip works in the system right and as a result you just end up with something that sounds bad it's the same pc has the same problem actually because a lot of games depending on how they were composed at the time you know depending on what midi device you use games can sound really bad uh and it just comes down to how it's created in that sense uh japanese developers did an amazing job on that system in terms of really utilizing it but it's not just japanese developers uh when you say western devs for instance uh, chris holzbeck did you know known for his work on pc or c64 and amiga uh the super turk or sorry mega turk and soundtrack is one of the best sounding ones on that system and that's because he wrote his own sound driver for it and had his uh own composition software to do to work with and that sounded awesome so there are some western games that sound great but you're right by and large it comes down to the drivers they use being bad or not great combined with this uh, the way they were composing the music essentially beefington von barnstorm here is suggesting that western devs did great things with the snes sound chip so what's the difference the sampling the super nes is it's a so fm synth was used on the mega drive right so you're actually like manipulating a device and producing electronic synth sounds and then a lot of developers got creative by combining that with the sample channel and then also using the uh the what i'm forgetting the name but the the sand the same sound channel you'd use on like the master system so yeah uh whereas on the super nes it's completely sample driven right so you just it's almost like you just assign whatever samples you want to make whatever sounds you want in the default library while not exactly inspiring could produce okay sounding things and so you generally get that the best sounding super nes games are the ones where the developers were specifically creating samples just for the music they wanted to make you know like donkey kong country of course sounds as good as it does because david david wise did uh some crazy sample work on that thing right uh where there's a lot of generic sounding super nes games that just use like the library of samples but because it's still a sample based thing it doesn't necessarily sound as bad as bad sin you know what I mean? <laughs> I find that stuff iconic, though. I kind of like the bad synth sound. <laughs> I like. I kind of like it a little bit. I like. You, I I know what you mean, but some some of those soundtracks, man. The yeah, the Marble Madness there, right? Genesis port is like ear bleeding. If you listen to that, like, the that music now. in that is so bad. 
Let's move on to the final question. Hi, DF. With all the games that you guys have reviewed all these years, which post-processing effect is the one that makes a great impact in a game? Or which is your favorite? That's from Darkrod99. Now, I've got to initially rule out KFC FX. Okay. <laughs> uh, and also BKAA. Uh, particular <laughs> Burger King-inspired anti-aliasing technique. I'm going to go to you first, Alex. Oh, I think everyone knows this in the audience. What I'm going to say here is per-object motion blur. It's the best post-processing effect that has ever existed. First time I saw it in game, I was just like, I actually took a while to for, try and understand why it looks so smooth. I didn't really register it. But that's what it was. And ever since I've seen it in games, uh, I've wanted it to be in almost every game. It's hard to imagine a game that I don't want it in. So, uh, well, dare to imagine. Which game there, you, I I wouldn't you want it in? Yeah. An RTS. Uh, which game would I not? An RTS? Well, no, it makes RTS okay. units look really good, actually. Oh. A couple of RTS games do it. Um, maybe... I can't really think of anything. Uh, John, can you think of anything? No, not really. really. So, John, what's your favorite post-processing uh, effect? That would have been my first choice ever since Track Trackmania Sunrise. But if I don't copy the same thing, I would then say the second would be bokeh depth of field. Like, I just, I love a sick bokeh, you know, especially I remember like seeing it back in the day, like Crisis 2 when it comes out and you're in those like uh, the city environments at night and you pull up your weapon to change the parts and you see all those little shapes in the background, uh, you know, and the, of course the Witcher, the Witcher 2 is like killer for it's like high end depth of field feature at the time, which looked great. Uh, yeah, that's that's up there. Isn't um, TAA post-processing? Yeah, that, yeah, that is, yeah, actually. Yeah. 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 Why not? Well, that's also really <laughs> that's good. good uh, that that was a conversion time, though, uh, for me. I, I liked Parabolic Motion Blur immediately on contact. TAA, it took me a couple years to actually warm up to. Um, I don't know if that's just because of wonky implementations in the beginning or because I was so used to years of MSAA or even SSAA. Let's put it this way, way, Alex. TAA doesn't work well at really low resolutions, right? But per object yeah. motion blur works great at any resolution. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. That's very true. Yeah, but going back to the triple again, John, I mean, <laughs> we had this massive sort of transition from uh, MSAA, QAA, no AA, to post-process effects like uh, FXAA. MLA. So yeah, even that. It's, it's, yeah. And it was kind of, a, it was a wild journey, wasn't it? MLAA. Yep. Mm. <laughs> uh, sort of good and bad implementations. I think we can sort of look back on the PS360 years, sort of like a, just like a massive transition. It's so wild. Mm -hmm. What a crazy with, time. With generally under, underpowered hardware. Big time. <laughs> I mean, it, like that hardware though, if the PS, the, the Xbox 360 in 2005 was cool. Um, with PS3, when it comes out, when it comes out, it's less cool. And I always think dev priorities were the, the issue of that generation. Uh, I think John would agree with that. It's just like pushing maybe too far on hardware that just was not up to the text. They did push hard. Those consoles were super expensive uh, to make. Uh, we have the the I mean the original Xbox 360 without the hard drive it cost Microsoft four hundred and sixty dollars to make, so you know that it's not as if there wasn't a a will to produce a great console. It's just I think um, the the leap from PS1 to PS2 that generation 
the leap was so profound, so huge that it just couldn't really be followed up to the same degree with the next generation, which in turn also had to um, service much higher resolutions. So that's kind of where we ended up, where we ended up. But uh, yeah, interesting question there from DarkRod99. And that's the end of our show. Please do like, subscribe, share if you enjoyed the content. Ring the bell, not the bowl. <laughs> Ring the bell. <laughs> you can try ringing your bowl. It oh, might I'm work. Right. But... <laughs> uh, yes, notionally instant notifications. No guarantees there. That is my disclaimer. DF supporter program. Pose questions. Talk to the team. See tons of bonus material. It's all awesome stuff. Amazing DF Retro episode on the rise and fall of the 1080p dream for PS3 coming soon. And yes, that's it. That's the end of the show. Thanks for watching.